You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Pretty good this morning, for sure. Excellent. We are taping from our homes again, so uh, no opportunity for call-in, but all's going well, eh, Alex? I think we're, we've got the rhythm of this, and we're, we're doing pretty good. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting through it, for sure. It's going Excellent. well. Yeah, it is. Um, please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook when we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three platforms. And do feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if you have anything to talk to us about. That'd be great. We'd love to hear from you. And do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all of your favorite podcast platforms and you can find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website which is www.radiomaria.ca and on my website which is kathybiasse.com. Now um, Alex I've been uh-huh. going through I just I, I sort of preface this next little bit here by saying I went to the grocery store uh-huh. and for the first time I don't go to the grocery store often I try and get my stuff delivered I had to line up for about 20 minutes outside to get into the store. And I don't know if you've been to the store lately or not. And then you get inside and the store I go to has sort of six foot dots and then arrows. You go down one aisle and up the other. And it was, uh, are you the same or no? Well, for me, I was going to say that I actually get all my groceries delivered, but uh, I have heard stories that are very similar to what you're, you're mentioning now and yeah it's it's a very different experience for everybody i'm sure it is it's it's disarming and i know that you know i'm trying to space out going to the store like every two weeks and it is for staples um because i get you know a lot of my stuff delivered as well but this this the shelves are stocked more so like the first time i went after all this there was it was empty like all the canned foods were gone and any sort of staple was removed um, and yeah. it is better now because I think, you know, that knee jerk fear at the beginning of this whole thing, has, it's, it's kind of, we've kind of leveled out a bit, but the, the reason I talk about this was because it was so apparent what people were going after and those were mm-hmm. staples, pantry staples. And so I thought it would be kind of interesting to get your perspective and I'll give you mine on what I would consider as staples in my kitchen, in my pantry. So like not just the pantry, but also I would include the fridge in that. 
So I'm going to put you on the spot here. And uh, (laughs) because it's interesting, I'm sure that there are commonalities, but then there'll be other ones that I would consider I would want in my kitchen all the time. So do you have like things that you sort of can't live without in the, in the kitchen? We're talking just foods and things, not like knives and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, it's funny you brought this up. Just a couple of days ago, I was talking with my family about this very fact, about getting uh, things all organized in my pantry. And from what I recall, um, for me, I've got uh, chicken broth and vegetable broth uh, available, as well as um, some tins of fish, you know. Uh, some Like some, tuna? Yeah. Salmon okay. as well. I've also got some... Uh, baked beans, as well as some um, tomato puree. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you have to have pasta. I've got that with uh, lots of pasta sauce, a uh, bottle of ketchup, I think, and def- <laughs> def- definitely, definitely, definitely some honey to go with my oats in the morning. And honey. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. That's a good and, one. And, of course, uh, I need my rice. So I've got that too. And so, what so about in your fridge? My Any? fridge, well, it, it's it's kind of bare at the moment because I'm uh-huh. right in the middle of uh, of um, putting out my next order for uh-huh. delivery. But typically, I uh, you know I'd have my my basics of uh, in terms of my proteins would be like chicken, uh, a bit of. Um, a bit of beef as well, and of course, lots of vegetable. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a few days, few days ago, I had a, had a whole bunch of uh, broccoli that I needed to needed to eat before it got really bad. So I converted that into a uh, like a puree, like a sauce that I'll just add to pasta. Mm-hmm. And so there's little little bits that uh, I need to get replenished with regards to in my fridge, but that's what's in my pantry at the moment. Mm-hmm. All those different items there. Yeah. Yeah. The fruits and vegetables are a tough one. Actually, I saw a great post by um, a fellow nutritionist about how she's fermenting her fruits and vegetables, how she's buying in bulk and freezing them and then she's steaming them up. And uh, that's next level for me. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that's really good preparing, preparing. Um, well, actually, you and I have I, I, a, I, I was, I was going to say, I do have a uh, frozen uh, veg in the, in the freezer there, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah. carry on. Well, you and I have um, a lot of similar things. So the pasta for sure. Mm-hmm. Rice is not, oddly enough, a huge staple for me, um, but pasta is. I guess the Italian sort of slant our family finds itself. And for me, canned tomatoes, and you said that the canned puree is the same idea, and beans and lentils. Yeah. And definitely beans were gone from the shelves and the tomatoes. Um, pasta that was a bit left, but I, I don't think I could survive without a good olive oil and a good uh, vinegar. Yes. So I, I do apple cider vinegar as well. Yeah. And, um, and these are just things that I've sort of come to realize through all this. I mm. continually go and, you know, as much as I tell people to rotate and so forth, their foods and everything, I'm continually grabbing the same seasonings which are basically from the song parsley sage rosemary and thyme right salt and pepper and turmeric um and everything you know oddly enough we we always seem to have nuts and seeds so that's something that i don't think i would like to be without but that's kind of second level i guess boxed organic stock that's i have that as well okay Um, 
for me to make it, you know, to make it a complete pantry, I'd love tea and coffee. Mm -hmm. So that's another mm -hmm. one for me. And then of the fruit variety, apples and berries and avocado. And mm -hmm. I've been noticing, and these are sort of patterns I've just sort of noticed for myself. I always have blueberries. Okay. I always have avocado yeah. and I always have carrots and celery and onion so that I can, um, cook, you know, yeah. the soups e and things. Even the, um, even the, um, what's it, um, the powdered onion and garlic kind of thing. The seasoning things. The season. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I have available as well. Um, it came to mind as you were talking about it, but yes. Well, in, it's, it's an interesting conversation because some things that were, off the shelves were things like ketchup and mustard and it, that wouldn't have occurred to me. And so that's why yeah. I love to have this conversation and things like uh, chia seed and flaxseed. Uh, I had no problem. One thing that, that was off the shelves that I don't use too much of, but my daughter is actually using a bit now because she's baking is flour. It mm -hmm. was so hard to come by for the first little while. Oh. So obviously yeah, a lot of people use flour. That's that's a whole different list for me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. baking essentials, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, but, it's uh, not one for me, but definitely something she uses. But as long as I have a good olive oil, apple cider vinegar, and I do buy lemons all the time, I've noticed um, of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it goes and, well with a lot of a lot of foods for sure. Well, it's it's a it's an inexpensive way to add add uh, flavor for sure. Yes. And I buy frozen vegetables and fruits. I have been through this and mm -hmm. those I have noticed are also in limited quantity. So yeah. it, interesting what people are stocking. I like also, to have like a pound of two of ground beef in the fridge right. or the freezer. Mm -hmm. And what else, what else were you mentioning? No, I was just going to mention that, um, you know, there's obviously a, a limit to how many items you can take off the shelves these mm -hmm. days, right? Depending on the, on the, on the demand for it. So you're, I'm limited to, you know, two or three cans of whatever product, depending on what it yes. is. So you have to really pick and choose and decide what's a necessity and what you can do without. Honestly, I think it's a very good exercise. I, <laughs> you know, and I think that it, it makes you focus on what you need. And, you know, there are so many benefits that are coming and if I can use that word from this whole situation, you know, maybe food waste yeah. won't be as much. Um, obviously, the pollution index has come way down. But, uh, you know, I, until you're forced to deal with these things, um, it, it's a good exercise. I, I found it's a good exercise, and I thought it'd be interesting, this conversation. So that's why I brought it up. So well done, Alex. Well done being on the spot. <laughs> well, thank you, Kathy. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and thanks on to, we're your, talking. Thanks for your ahead. pointing questions. Oh, yeah, no problem. No problem. As long as you're on point with me, we're on the same wavelength, yeah. we, can, we can get through it. But no, I think it is a good exercise. And we're talking about uh, dieting uh, today, actually. This is part of a, a bigger conversation we're having with Aaron Holt. And Aaron is a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist, helping people re-energize and find real health without restriction. After suffering health issues like chronic digestive problems, eating disorder, anxiety, and autoimmune disease, for the most part of her life without any conventional answers, Erin turned to alternative medicine and functional nutrition for her recovery. Erin couples deep science research and functional testing with holistic healing modalities when working with women to get to the root cause of their health issues. 
She works with women all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition programs. Her nutrition practice honors the indissoluble link between mind and body. So we're talking about food here and the health of food and and a positive connection. Um, And um, some of our main learning points will be what Erin's definition of diet culture is, um, the connection between diet culture and autoimmunity, and the impact of food fear. So interesting, interesting conversations here. And we will be back to talk to Aaron after a brief break. So we'll be back, everybody. There's no space that his love can't reach. There's no place where we can't find peace. There's no end to amazing grace. Take me in with your arms spread wide Take me in like an orphan child Never let go, never leave my side I am
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. So welcome back, everybody. As mentioned earlier, please do follow us. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at The Health Hub RMC on all three. And if you would like to email us, we are at thh at radiomaria.ca. And a quick reminder that unfortunately no... um, no way for you to call in today. We are still in our taped platform. But anyways, let's move on to our show and welcome Aaron Holt. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's, it's a pleasure being able to um, at least see you. I can see you. you. I know I'm shut off on your end, but it's, it's, you know, the live thing is so nice to do, but recording is, is okay. We're going we're gonna to get through this and um, we'll move on. My um, podcast is always recorded, so oh, I don't is know it? how you do it live. That would stress me out. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned to you before we came on, it was like, I find it much easier to do the live shows. Because I think embedded in the live show is the fact that I will make mistakes. So yeah. <laughs> when I'm recording, I feel like I've got to be on point with everything, like, like doing the time, like getting the time. Anyway, so let's move on from my issues and let's talk about you. So thank you for coming to the show. You've got a whole lot of great perspective that I I really want to bring to the listeners. And let's start off by how you kind of got into the space that you're working in now. Yeah, I think my perspective comes from my own um, health history. So I, um, I grew up as a, as a pretty chunky kid. And then when I hit adolescence, I grew taller and I leaned out. Um, and when I leaned out, I was, that was met with a tremendous amount of praise. Uh, this is, you know, when I was like 12 years old, family, friends, peers, all really praised me for this weight loss. So very young, um, at a very young age, that was locked into me that weight loss is worthy of praise. And I am firstborn, type A, perfectionist. So yes, I, so am I. <laughs> we live for praise, like give all the gold stars. I mean, yeah. I want them all. So that that was sort of imprinted in me. So I, and I'm also like, if some is good, then more must be better. So I started um, restricting my food. I started running and lost a lot of weight. And this really laid the foundation for a 13 year battle with disordered eating. So it started off as restriction, um, kind of morphed into anorexia exercise bulimia, and then finally full-blown bulimia where I was binging and purging up to 12 times a day. So it absolutely took over my entire life. And somewhere along this, this, the, the 13 years, I realized like, oh my God, I need some help. This isn't normal. And so I decided that I would go back to school to become a registered dietitian because I just assumed, because our culture teaches us this, that if I can just dial in my food, if I can perfect my food, then I can perfect my life. So I kept going, kept going. I got my degree in nutrition and dietetics. And when I graduated, I realized, like, I'm not better. I'm not fixed. I am not healed. What the heck is going on? And that's when, like, the real deep dive began into um, a more alternative and holistic way of looking at things. And I continued my education more in that fashion. And the way that I ultimately resolved my eating disorder and all of those issues is by stopping the restriction, by giving up dieting, um, and focusing more on, um, you know, alternative holistic health, which is to say I focused not just on what was on my plate, but my entire life, relationships, stress management, you know, I found meditation and yoga. And so I had this cool little practice. I was 
I was teaching yoga. I was, um, I had my nutrition practice on the side and was living a pretty great life. I got married, had a baby, we bought a house, like all the things. And then after I gave birth, I started getting really sick and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And to be honest, there was a lot of shame around it. I was pretty embarrassed about it because um, here I was living this healthy life, doing all the right things, teaching other people how to do the same. And inside I was, I was sick. So I kept going to my doctors and explaining what was going on. And they kept really writing me off and saying, yeah, it's normal. Your blood work is normal. There's nothing wrong. You're probably just tired. This is normal for a new mom. You should stop breastfeeding. You should let the baby cry it out, try to get some sleep, but there's nothing really we can do for you. And that whole song and dance routine went on for a full year. And I started to feel like a crazy person. Nobody was validating my experience. Nobody was listening to me. Nobody was paying attention. Um, And inside I knew, I knew something was off. So finally I kind of lost my mind in my doctor's office one day and I'm like, Hey, I'm not leaving here until I get some answers. I know my body. I know this isn't right. And um, what ended up coming out of that was I, I, I received a diagnosis for an autoimmune disease called systemic sclerosis, also known as scleroderma. So I also had some thyroid issues going on. I had a a SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So basically, there was a lot of issues um, that I had been dealing with, and conventional medicine didn't really have any answers. Sure, I got the diagnosis, but there wasn't anything beyond that that they could really offer me. So that sort of plunged into like, 2.0 2.0 of my um, of my career journey because I, I I started experimenting with the functional medicine functional nutrition piece um, sort of looking under the hood looking around for root causes and I had such profound results in my own body and in my own health that I started applying it to my clients and I uh, eventually continued my education in the integrative and functional nutrition and medicine space and so that's the way that I run my practice. But again, that, that the uh, perspective that you're, that you talked about is really hard earned because I had to live a lot of this stuff to, um, to figure that out. There's no better teacher than having lived through the experience. I find that when I'm working with cancer patients, as soon as they find out, uh, most of them know, but as soon as they find out that I've been through their journey, it's like, ah, you get it. You're not just book knowledge. You're not just talking at me. You get it. And I think that what you can offer, is it just women that you're working with or do you work with men as well? I, I, I do see men, but I work primarily with women. And, and I, well, and, and in general, do women, are they more prone to have this association, a bad association with food than men? Is that a studied thing? Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I don't think there's any coincidence that mm-hmm autoimmune disorders are twice as common in women as in men. I don't think that they're, this is something that's not being talked about. I don't think it's a, it's a, uh, like a, just a coincidence. I think that the amount of pressure, both external, so societal pressure that's put on us externally as women, and then we internalize that and put our own internal pressure on ourselves to achieve, 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 and to look a certain way while we're doing all of the things, right? We have so much stress on our plates. We have, we try to wear all of the hats. We try to do it all really well. And we're, we're trying to do it with like a thigh gap and a six pack. It's just too much. Um, it's just too much. So yeah. Um, 
for sure, I think more there's more pressure on how to look a certain way uh, for women than on men. I mean, if you think about, do you, I don't know if you remember this a few years ago when dad bods were in style. So they, mm-hmm. they would show like pictures of Leonardo DiCaprio on his yacht with like his like gut hanging out and everyone's like, he's so dreamy, but it's like <laughs> mom bods have never been in style, right? Like we're not, you know, we, we, if we see a mom bod, we're told that we've let ourselves go or there's problem areas on our bodies that need to be fixed. It's a complete and utter double standard. There's no question about it. Are we ever going to change that? I mean, I know that there's so much talk about it. And I know that's, you know, accepting body image is, is, you know, something that we all talk about and all women know that it'd be the ideal if we could just live our lives in our own bodies. But are we making progress? Do you see progress? I see progress around the mental shift and the, the collective shift and we're all willing to talk about it now right so there's a lot of of chatter around it and i think the awareness is always the first step to change anything but what i'm still seeing clinically is the fallout of this mindset and the fallout of these restrictive behaviors which mm-hmm. is a lot of like i said autoimmunity it's a lot of hormonal dysregulation it's a lot of thyroid dysfunction it's a lot of adrenal dysfunction so it's hard for me because i'm in the thick of working with women who are dealing with the consequences of this. It's hard for me to be, to be really hopeful and super positive. I think we, as women, like you said, want a different story. Um, we just maybe haven't quite created it yet. Well, you know, it's funny because there's a, this, this phase when you get to, I don't know, 50-ish, maybe not 50, a little bit older, you know, you see on the beach and you see older women walking around in bikinis and they don't have the perfect body and everyone just says, oh, they don't even care. They don't care what they look like. And I think that's really, that's really degradating to what they're all about. And I think we need to pull that back from the 60s and 70s and bring it earlier on because I, I don't think it's a matter of not caring. I think it's a matter more of, you know what, there are more other things around. I don't need to focus on this. And I think if we could get that mentality earlier in life, we'd all be in a better spot. I really do. Absolutely. And I think that was what I, I always say that chronic illness or any type of illness arises in our life to teach us something. And I'm always really careful with those words because my, my intention is to never place the blame and say, oh, you Mm -hmm. manifested this disease state. You did this. This is your fault. You should shoulder the responsibility. But when these things present themselves in our lives, it's a good opportunity to say, all right, why is this coming up? What is this here to teach me? I feel Mm -hmm. like that's kind of one of my superpowers. I've dealt with a lot of um, hardships in my life. And I'm always like, all right, what's coming up and why? And I will say that having a doctor look you in the eye and tell you, you have this disease that can be fatal is a real game changer in terms of looking at your body and developing the body appreciation. Because when your life is on the line, you don't really care about what size jeans you wear. You're just happy to be in this body. Like the fact that I have the energy that I can do, that I do, that I can work that I can exercise, that I can do all of these things. Like I, a few years ago, five years ago, I couldn't do any of this. So I do think that there's, there comes a point, um, and it sucks that some of us have to get to rock bottom or like to have something really scary happen before we can make that perspective shift. And maybe um, some of that wisdom just comes with age, like you're saying, mm-hmm. You know, women uh, just get to a point where like there's so many more important things in life than what my body looks like. Like I am not my body. I'm not my aesthetic, right? I'm Mm -hmm. so much more than that as a human being. 
So the diet culture that you speak of, when we're talking about diet culture and its connection to autoimmunity, what are the sort of the, I'm, I'm sure it's all very individualistic when you're teaching and when you're looking at different people, they all come from different spaces. But this, there's got to be an, an overarching idea of what this diet culture is that is negatively impacting health. So diet culture, just as a whole, really teaches us that we are our problems to be fixed. We, I mean, like I said earlier, problem areas, right? There's, there's a, something about your body that's an issue that needs to be fixed or you're inherently broken. And the only solution, the only fix for the problem that is you is to opt into diet culture. It's to opt into the multi-billion dollar industry. I think it's at this point it's worth $67 billion, the weight loss industry. It's to opt into that and say, okay, I'm yours. Here's my money. Let's go. And we all know the crazy part about it is we know that diets don't work. If you ask somebody about diets nine times out of 10, they'll, they'll admit to you. I know diets don't work. And yet we're all in this perpetual hunt for the next diet that's going to save us, that's going to mm -hmm. fix us. So if we start to, if, if we're hearing that, I mean, and it starts so young. I was 12 when my eating disorder sunk its teeth in, but my daughter's six years old and she's already, already, I could hear what the, what our society is doing to her inside of her brain. It, it starts so young. I think the average girl starts diet at, at 10 years old. 10 years old, it's a baby. Um, so when we're, when we're surrounded by this, when we're baked into this casserole, hearing these messages over and over again that you're not worthy unless you look a certain way, we internalize that. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that our thoughts and our beliefs inform our biology. The thoughts we think and the feelings we feel about ourselves can dictate our physical bodies. So for me, as somebody who is like, I mean, I hated myself. I hated my body. I was constantly trying to change my body. I was constantly trying to fix myself and better myself. And eventually, my body just sort of caught up. I, was, I had such negative internal chatter all the time, talking so badly about myself and what I look like. And it's completely acceptable. I mean, you go, if you go into like a locker room in a gym, it's just a bunch of women nitpicking their bodies and pulling mm -hmm. themselves apart, right? It's very normalized. So uh, eventually my body just kind of followed suit. You know, autoimmune disease is, is literally self attack, right? It's when your immune system gets a little tripped up and it starts to attack your own body's tissues. So if my brain you know, in my belief system, we're constantly in that self-attack. It was only a matter of time for my body to, 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 to catch up. And do you still struggle with this? Is this something that can be cured? Or is it something that you need to work at all the time? And therefore, by corollary, most women need to work at all the time. I mean, I think that I, I've been in recovery now for a decade or more. So, you know, this is, this is, something that isn't, it's not super pervasive in my day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm living in the same, I'm living in the same, I'm baked in the same casserole as everybody else. I'm hearing the same messages as yeah. everybody else. And, and for me, it's a, it is a practice to kind of say, that's not true. That's not true. I won't accept that for me. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. That's kind of a difficult question to, to ask. I wouldn't say that I've just like made it out alive with you know, mm -hmm, yeah still in it but I mean there's always that constant chatter back and forth and 
I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the time, but I am going to ask this question here because it kind of fits in. So, you know, this show, you have your own podcast. Um, we're talking about integrative health and we want to give people tools to help improve their health. But within this space too, there are a lot of practitioners who also jump on this bandwagon of eliminating food or honing in on a particular food group. Heck, I mean, we have the fat phase now. We had elimination of fat, you know, 20 years ago. Um, how, How does this approach by either focusing on macros or eliminating macros or eliminating food groups, how does this add into this difficulty that we can have in determining what's proper for our best health? So I see a lot, I will say that I, I think that there's a lot of utility to therapeutic interventions with diet, um, whether that's an elimination style diet or, um, you know, like you said, maybe like a ketogenic diet, but they're, they're or you know, like a low FODMAP diet, something like this, but they're usually, or there should always be an exit strategy. We shouldn't just be like putting people on these like blanket diets, like, oh, this is the one diet that's going to fix all the people. It just doesn't work that way. And so what I tend to see in my practice is people that have worked with other practitioners have maybe been put on a restrictive diet or have put themselves on a restrictive diet because they read a blog from so-and-so and they have all of this food fear. And now they're terrified to reintroduce foods or when they do reintroduce foods, I see this a lot with AIP, the autoimmune paleo protocol. When they do reintroduce foods, they get reactive or they're, they're, they're negative reacting to food. So they think, oh my God, I can never put these foods back in. So there's a tremendous amount of food fear. um, And I just think it does a huge disservice if you're going to use these, these, these diets. And I do, you know, I, I don't not use them. It has to be you need to understand the person's health history. And if there's a history of disordered eating, which for three out of four women, there will be, that's a lot of women. If there's a history of that, you have to be extra mindful and conscientious. And then you have to think about the, the, the long-term downstream effects of these restricted diets, um, effects on the microbiome, effects on hormones, effects on thyroid. That's what I'm seeing time and time again. Excellent. I think we're going to stop there because the next question I have for you may take us way over the halfway point. So everybody, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back in a few minutes to talk again with Aaron. Oh, 
voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Aaron Holt. Great conversation on uh, dieting and the diet culture. And we're going to just continue on. Um, Aaron, we kind of left off that half talking about the fear of food. And a big, big passion of mine is instilling in people the joy of food. Um, and when you're talking about these therapeutic diets, and, and I, you know, in my practice, I have a therapeutic approach to certain situations. And you're right, we need an exit strategy. But what we seem to forget is the joy that food should give to us. And we seem to, and again, as women, focus on what food is doing to us either physically or perhaps mentally. Why is the joy of food lost these days? Well, it's a scary thing. It's a battlefield and nobody knows what they're supposed to be doing. They're like, this person said this, this person said this. Mm Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. No, 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 no. You should never eat breakfast. You need to intermittent fast, right? We need tons of protein. No, 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 no. Vegan's the way to go. Like it's such mixed messages and people are so inundated with information, but they lack the ability to apply that information to ourselves because we live in a very like, um, it's quite, sort of like uh, an expert um I don't know what I'm trying to say, like an expert society where we like, we don't have the answers. We have to seek the information outside of ourselves. We have to reach out to the expert to say like, Hey, how can I apply this information to myself? Like common sense has gone out Mm -hmm. the window. Right. So there's a lot of confusion and it's, hard to experience joy when you sit down to a plate of food and you're like, is this what I'm supposed to be eating? Is this enough carbs? Not, you know, too many carbs, not like, you know, if you're constantly questioning and in a fear confusion state, every time you, you sit down to eat, it sort of robs you of your joy. Mm-hmm. It really does. I totally agree. So 
this restrictive dieting, this diet culture, you made um, an association with a microbiome, with a few different things, hormones. How does our restrictive eating patterns play into autoimmunity or hormonal issues or all the things that you are mentioning about, you know, when you're, when you're very limited in what you eat, when your focus is very sort of one-dimensional? How does this tie in with disease maybe years down the road? So uh, we'll, we'll stick with the gut since that's the first thing that you mentioned. Um, we are microbiome. So all the bacteria that live in our colon, um, they really thrive on variety, different types of fibers. As, as much variety and diversity you can get in your diet, the better for your microbiome. We have a lot of bacteria there. Some are like little piggies. They'll eat anything that you'll give them, but some are a little bit more refined. They're kind of like the food snobs that will only eat certain things like Acromantia is a great example. Acromantia is a bacteria in our gut that's really responsible for building a healthy, strong gut. We hear all about leaky gut and intestinal hyperpermeability. Acromantia is one of the guys that helps to prevent that. It really strengthens the barrier system. It's also super important for metabolic health, so blood sugar regulation and um, you know type 2 diabetes, obesity, all that sort of stuff. And these guys really, this acromantia, species really thrive on red polyphenols. So things in apple skins, um, grapes, cranberries, right? They're very particular about what they eat. So if you go on any type of restricted diet, even if it's a healing diet, like an elimination diet or an autoimmune paleo diet or a low FODMAP diet, and you're restricting food source from these bacteria, hey, guess what? These bacteria can go bye-bye. And if we lose species in our gut, we become less resilient, we become less um, able to regulate our immune system, and this leads to a lot of long-term consequences. I mean, this is no surprise to anybody listening to your show. We know how important gut health is for overall health, and we know that our immune system is essentially housed in our in our gut, right? So that's just one small thing. And the longer term people stay on restrictive diets, the more of a detriment it can have on their microbiome. Um, And so what we can see is even increased food intolerances. Um, There's something called secretory IgA, and this tends to be really suppressed in a lot of people on restrictive diets and with autoimmunity. And if secretory IgA is suppressed, things in our gut called dendritic cells can go haywire. So they start to overreact to food. Um, So these people are like, I've been on this restricted diet for a year. I can't come off of it because every time I try to reintroduce food, I have a bad reaction. Well, holy heck, that's surely going to steal the joy out of food. That's going to create so much anxiety, right? Um, So that's just one, one piece. I also see the downstream effect with hormones. Um, A lot of women... I'll do a lot of hormonal testing and their progesterone is very low. We, in order to produce progesterone, we have to ovulate. Um, irrespective of whether you want to have children, you know, you, you have to ovulate in order to produce progesterone. And um, if we're not making enough progesterone, we can start to feel really, really anxious. Progesterone is like a really feel good hormone in our body. And if our body senses that we're not safe, it's not going to want to ovulate. It's going to suppress ovulation. It's going to suppress progesterone um, output uh, because what's the sense in trying to procreate 
if our body senses it's a really unsafe environment, right? It's just not going to happen. And so the biggest threat to our survival historically is lack of food source. So if you restrict food source, I'm talking calories here or carbohydrates for women in a lot of cases, um, it's going to suppress ovulation and you're just going to have this, this, this downstream effect with hormonal irregularities and imbalances that can be kind of tricky to, um, to balance out. Mm -hmm. To navigate. It's funny. I think that every time we have one of these periods where we focus and the, the, you know, the diet is in, all the information given to us is so highly focused in a particular area. I do feel that as research comes about later going on, we can take a step back and see our ways and we do move forward with our understanding of food and our understanding of importance of, I'm seeing so much pushback in the carbohydrate area now. Um, And it just is so logical to me. And it's because we've been so focused on fat and now we, we realize that, you know, it's not just about fat. We need the carbohydrates we need, but I do feel like there is a learning piece there. But also, do you talk to people about it's not the food, it's the body? And is that, can that change their opinion or is this one of your belief systems? Well, can you explain what you mean by that? So like when I, my belief and the way I talk to people is that if you are, of course, we're talking about a a healthy diet here. Okay. So we're we're within the scope of a healthy diet. So if I have somebody who says, well, I can't eat a banana. Well, banana is a healthy food, right? So if you can't eat a banana, don't blame the banana. We got to figure out something that's going on within you. And, and to me, that change of perspective is very unique to a lot of people. You know, it's not that, it's me. And I need to, I need to really attend to my own health. And therefore, it's not the food that I need to blame. Is that part of your belief system? Oh my God, without a doubt, unquestionably, yes. Um, you know, and I'm not a huge fan of food sensitivity testing. I just don't, depending me either. Yeah. When you do, they're not super accurate. And I think you have to do them at a very specific time. But, you know, they're pretty easy to get hold of, whether they're testing IgG or IgA. And so people come back with their, and I'm sure you see this all the time, their, their food sensitivity tests are lit up like a Christmas tree. And they're like, I can't eat any of these foods. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's actually probably not true. Um, but I will say there, um, there's a couple on the market that are really, really good that you usually have to get through a clinician. Um, and I will sometimes for the people coming to me saying, I can't eat these, I can't eat this, I can't eat this. I'm afraid to eat this. I'm afraid to reintroduce this. These food sensitivities can be really helpful to get some data on is your immune system actually responding to this? Or is this more of a, of a mental hurdle that we need to get over? Because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and say that all foods are appropriate. You know, people do react negatively to food. You know, there are certain foods that I can't eat because they light up my immune system. That, that is true. And also, it's true that um, that we can't just blindly restrict these foods because we read it on a blog somewhere and we have this this food fear. So we do have to kind of talk talk some people down off of the ledge a little bit. I think so too, and I think that. Um you know, part of the, there's such a a positive impact with Google and such a negative impact with Google and all the information that's given to people. Do you find that this is a big part of your practice is bringing them back off this ledge? I will say that this is a big part of what I talk about on my podcast. Um, I did, you know, I've been in practice for 10 years now, uh, like nine years now. And this was a very big part of my 
um, like the early years. Over the past couple of years, I've transitioned more into the functional medicine piece um, because I have a really hard time with trying to convince people to believe something else. I kind of want people to buy into the message and be ready to like take the leap before they start to work with me. Um, and so I do a lot, a lot of this converse, have a lot of these conversations on the podcast. I've had the podcast for two and a half years now. So people are sort of saturated in that messaging. And by the time they get to me, they're like, okay, I'm, I'm like, I'm really getting what you're saying. And now I'm ready to kind of change my ways. Does that make so, sense? It does. So people are stepping into your space knowing that the way they've been doing it isn't right. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting an intellectually strong group of people that's looking to move forward. And, and that's, that can be challenging too, right? It's when you have all these people that really know a lot. I find that too. I find that people that I work with uh, within the cancer space, they know a lot about food. They know a lot about food. And now it's sort of tweaking and getting into the mind space. But one thing that um, I'm very interested in kind of moving away from this a little bit is what do you... The, the lag between uh, a very unhealthy diet or say someone who's been extremely food restricted and then seeing disease arise, do you see that over a few short years or are you seeing this, can this expand, you know, you, you've, you've stopped your restrictive eating, you're, you're not um, bulimic or whatever the food um, issue was you had. And then 10 years down the road, you're seeing something pop up or are they pretty closely associated? I would say that people that there's still some level of restriction, even if somebody doesn't think that it is. Um, I mean, women are sort of bred to believe that we need 1200 to 1500 calories a day. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is so far from the truth for so many people. That is, I mean, that's what my, my five-year-old eats more than that. She weighs 45 pounds. <laughs> right? Um, there, uh, there's a book called No Period, Now What? And I can't remember the author's name, but she recommends eating bare minimum 2,500 calories a day in order to get your period back. Like just baseline what we need in order to do normal functions like menstruate, right? Mm -hmm. 2,500 calories. So people that are coming to me, they're like, they, they're not quite there yet. Um, they, so there's, there's still some restriction, even if it's, even if they're eating the, an appropriate amount of food, there's still some type of restrictive mentality. I, I think that's the, the hard thing to, um, to kind of like get through. So it's not so much they're like, okay, restrictions done. We've put that away. Now we just like wait for the, the disease to like bake. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. really like, I think we're all just culturally programmed to, to believe that our worth is tied up in our appearance. And that, that, is a, that is a heavy load to carry that creates a lot of internalized stress. And I think it's this internalized stress on top of any type of restrictive eating patterns that we might have that sets the stage for autoimmunity or some other type of chronic uh, condition. So when someone comes to see you and they sit down in front of you, what are the questions that you're asking them? What are the real get to the heart of the matter questions that you think are vital? Um, you know, I do a lot of symptom checklists, like how, you know, what are the symptoms? Where's the smoking gun? Because if somebody's coming to me, it's with chronic, they usually have chronic GI issues. There's some hormonal imbalance um, or it's autoimmunity. So we want to look at like, what's the big thing going on? And almost always we see that there's adrenal dysfunction. The HPA axis has 
is suppressed or overactive or something's going on with the adrenals. So then we start thinking, we start looking at what's the history of dieting. I have a question on my questionnaire that's is chronic dieter, like always dieting. And most people say yes, right? Most women are always on some type of diet. Um, I also, this is, I mean, it's not funny, but it's just an interesting view into the way that we approach things. One of the questions is how high, like rate your stress level. And just about everybody says hi. And then I'm like, well, what do you do for stress management? What are your daily practices? And most people say none, right? So we know that we're, we know that we're super stressed. We don't really have a way to, to cope with it. Um, and I think we have to start to unpack, well, what are the stressors in your life? Where are those stressors coming from? Is it the fact that you have a job that you hate? Is it the fact that you know you're not do you're not you're not feeling supported in your life? And we I always look at the food piece as a stressor. Are you actively trying to lose weight? Yes or no? Yes, that's a stressor. Add it to the list. Are you skipping meals? Are you intermittent fasting? Yes. Okay. Another stressor. Let's add that to the list. So we're I'm I'm starting to unpack overall life stress, but also specifically food stress too. Are you under eating? Are you restricting a macronutrient? That sort of thing. And diet isn't necessarily I'm going on the ketogenic diet or I'm going the Barron's. It could be just your whole outlook and your whole approach to eating. And that's included in the diet definition, correct? Oh, with that, yes, exactly. Yes. Because I think there are some, you know, people might hear the word diet and they're talking, they want to put a name to it. But no, diet is a philosophy, whether it's yours that you're living with or if you're taking on someone else's philosophy, it's your ideal of the way you eat. I mean, we're all, we can, you know, I find that there's a cross between diet is not necessarily a bad word. Um, it's dieting and the way you're approaching your your approach to food that is sort of the issue at play here that you're working with. And I, I think that it's really important that people understand that. Um, I think I do. I think it is. We all have an approach to eating mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's getting that healthy approach and we can still call it dieting because that's our approach to eating. But what you're getting at is the unhealthy diet and is the unhealthy focus. And we should be eating for health, really not much else. But I think the tricky part about that is that I know we're, we're coming up on our time here, so maybe we close out with this, is that people think what they're doing is healthy, right? So I had a woman in a workshop, I, was, I, I forget the, the, what I was teaching at the time, and she raised her hand and she says, I eat one meal a day, I eat salmon, broccoli, and, um, and that was it. I eat salmon and broccoli. One, one meal a day. She thought she was doing the right thing. She was like, well, my husband does intermittent fasting. Therefore I should do it. It, it was like, but she really thought she had, she was eating, like doing exactly what she was supposed to be doing based on the information that she had received. So, um, I don't think people really, I, I think that they're just listening to advice that's being given out mm -hmm. and doing what they think is right and doing what they think is healthy. Um, and so, that is the is, is is what needs to change. It's this this accepted notion that we need to underfuel ourselves. Right, we're putting such dramatic, some dramatically high expectations on ourselves, and we're underfueling ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we keep thinking it's our fault. It's our fault we get sick. It's our fault that I'm tired. It's my fault that I can't keep up. It's not your fault. It's just that you're not eating right. You're not going to yeah. eat. And we're so inundated. I mean, I think that's, that's the big piece of the puzzle. We have so much information here. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where's the best place for them to source you? 
Um, either Instagram, which is Aaron Holt Health, or my podcast, which is the Functional Nutrition Podcast. Those are the two places that I hang out most. Excellent. Aaron. thank you so much for being on the show. It was a great conversation and thank you for taking the time. Um, we really do appreciate it. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi here on Radio Maria Canada.